All right, well, you know that the, uh, the NFL season started recently. Here's a trend I've noticed. Maybe you've noticed this too, that the players, whenever they make a good play, they celebrate more and more and more. And it's not even really a good play anymore. When they may just make a simple tackle, it's like they, they celebrate, like they've done this great achievement, and they boast. You know, as a kid, my brother and I, I've got an older brother in case you didn't know, he, uh, we would stay up late on Friday nights when the, when the heavyweight title boxing matches were. And we would love to watch those. And back in our time, the champ was Muhammad Ali. And it was late in his career. He, would, he was fighting people like George Foreman and Joe Frazier. We missed his earlier fights, but boy, his quotes live on forever, don't they? Here are some Muhammad Ali quotes. He was quite boastful, both inside the ring and out. He said, I'm young, I'm handsome, I'm fast, I can't possibly be beat. It's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. I'm the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. If you even dream of beating me, you better wake up and apologize. (laughs) By definition, the English word boasting is an expression of personal pride, which is the farthest thing from Paul's intent in our scripture this morning. The Greek term we translate to boast carries the basic meaning of praise, to glory in, to rejoice in, to exalt in. And here we read that Paul boasts in the cross of our Lord, in Galatians 6.14, he writes, May it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The Apostle Paul said that he boasted in the cross of Christ more than anything else in the world, and that's quite a statement. Because there's so much in the life of this extraordinary man that he could have boasted in. Paul could have boasted in his higher education. He was a brilliant man. He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most respected teachers of the day. He was a scholar. He had obviously had a towering intellect. Our brother Paul here at CCC, he can't boast of his ACT score. But the Apostle Paul could have very easily boasted about his academic resume, his scholarship. But the Apostle Paul did not boast of this. He could have boasted in his social prestige, in his social position. After all, he was a citizen of the Roman Empire. He was born in Tarsus, and he enjoyed all the privileges of being a Roman citizen. If you were born a Roman citizen in the Middle East at this time, you were positioned for success. But he did not boast of this. Paul could have boasted in his religious background. He was born a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day into the tribe of Benjamin. He called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul could have boasted in that very fact, in his religious upbringing, but he did not. Instead, Paul chose to boast in something totally different than this. Paul boasted in the cross of Jesus Christ. And likewise, regarding his relationship with Jesus, Paul could have boasted about many other aspects of Christ. Paul could have boasted in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, who was supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin. But Paul did not boast of that. He could have boasted on the sinless life of Jesus Christ. There has never been 
a perfect man alive on this planet except Jesus of Nazareth. He never sinned. Never once broke the law at any point. Paul could have boasted on the sinless life of Christ, but he didn't. Paul could have boasted in the teachings of Christ. Jesus was the greatest teacher of the law that ever lived. They said, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Paul could have boasted in Jesus' powerful miracles, his bodily resurrection, or even the future return of Christ when he will return for his church. All of these are worthy of praise. But Paul did not boast of any of these things in the primary position. Above all else, Paul boasted in the glory of the cross. What a a strange thing to boast in. The cross was the electric chair of the first century. The cross was an instrument of shame, of horror, of humiliation and death. The cross was reserved for the worst criminals of the day. In fact, it it was so horrible that no Roman citizen could be crucified upon a Roman cross. And yet, it's the cross of Jesus that Paul gloried in, that he boasted in, that he praised God in. This was at the top of his list to be thankful for. And I pray that this morning, that we as a church family and individually, that we will glory in the cross of our Lord and there will be no competition. The preeminent place in our heart will be occupied by the cross of Christ. We boast in a lot of things today. We boast in a lot of things. We boast in our our football team. You know, as a Bears fan, I don't get to do that a lot, but we boast in our favorite football team or our basketball team, and all that's fun to some sort and degree. It's part of our culture. We boast in our cars. We might boast in this or that, and that's all fun to to an extent. In its right place, it's okay. But as Christians, right, us in this room today, followers of the Lord, followers of Jesus, to where it's impacted our lives, and people notice, and we've changed, we should boast in the cross of Christ. The cross is everything to us. So let's look at verse 14 again. He begins by saying, May it never be. In the Greek, it's two words, meganoita. Together they form a very strong, a very emphatic negative in the Greek language. And Paul, as you know, uses that phrase, may it never be, 14 times in his writings throughout the New Testament. The New King James translates it, God forbid. Unthinkable. Absolutely not. This could never be. Paul is drawing a line in the sand, and he's putting down an anchor, and he's saying us, telling us, God forbid that I ever boast about anything in my life except the cross of Jesus. This would be the sole object of his boasting, his praise, his glory. Now, why? Well, we'll look at a couple passages in a minute earlier on in Galatians. <clears throat> but he gives us a hint at the end of this verse 14. He says, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's powerful. That is a powerful statement for us in this room, for a Christian today. The world is now dead to us, and we are dead to the world. He's saying the world has lost its pizzazz to me. The world has lost its allure 
to me. The world out there has lost its charm to me. Because the cross has rescued us out of this world and it set us apart for fellowship with God. In this case, we burn our bridges behind us. We're often told, don't burn a bridge. In this case, we burn the bridges behind us. And the world is no longer the center of our our life. The cross is a radical separation between us and the world. And yes, there's still going to be temptations. And yes, there's still going to be enticements. But at the center of our soul, we have been crucified to the world. And the world has been crucified to us. Is this the way you feel? I mean, do you know anything about feeling this way? I mean, if you were writing this book, would this be your testimony? Is the world dead to you and you to the world? Have you lost any of your popularity in the world, in the workplace, or in school, because you're now dead to the ways of the world that so many people are following? Do the people out there see you in a different way? Because the cross means everything to you. And the desires of this world have been crucified to you. And you are now in turn dead to the world. Well, let's look at a couple reasons from Galatians as to why the Apostle Paul would make such a statement as this. Why he would say, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was was very, very good. And I thank you for the opportunity for me this week. It was good for my own heart while preparing this sermon to remind myself why Christ is everything. Why Paul would say, we preach Christ and Christ crucified. Why the cross is central to everything. So let's go to Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to look at a couple pillars that kind of uphold this statement at the end of Galatians. And the first is in chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And the reason number one that Paul gives why he boasts in the cross is salvation, which is really a divine rescue of us from this world. So as Paul winds down his introduction, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. What caught my attention here at this opening chapter in Galatians was that when he mentioned Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That seems like a good place to put a period. You know, in fact, when we were studying 2 Thessalonians on Wednesday night, Paul opened up his letter in 2 Thessalonians just like this with a period. But here, it seems like Paul is so full of the cross that he, at the mere mention of Jesus' name, he has to add something to it. right? And so here's what he adds. He says, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Here's the reason, number one, why Paul boasts, and we all glory in the cross. It's because of salvation. It's because Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us out of this world. And when it it says he gave himself, do you hear how intentional that is? Do you hear how intentional it is when he says he gave himself for us? Jesus did not die as a martyr. He did not die because a situation overcame him to a point to where they took his life from him and his blood was spilt. 
Jesus' blood was not spilt. It was poured out for us. He gave himself for us on the cross. And speaking of his own life, Jesus said in John 10, 18, No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Jesus chose when he would die on the cross. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And it was Jesus who said, it is finished. You see, Jesus laid down his life. He gave his life on the cross, and nobody took it from him. So Paul says he gave himself for our sins. And here's the heart of the gospel. Him who knew no sin, God made to be sin for us. And when you boil down to it, the one word that, that, that describes what took place on the cross is substitution. Jesus died as our substitute on the cross so he might rescue us. The word rescue, it presupposes that those for whom need rescued were in great danger. It presupposes that those for whom he died were in a life-threatening situation. And that was true for you and for me. That's where we were. Right Before the Lord found us. We were all on a broad road heading to destruction. Do you realize that? That we needed rescued. We needed saved from ourselves and this world. So Jesus died so he might rescue us from this evil age. Rescued and delivered unto salvation. <clears throat> this evil age, this present evil age is what's well, all around us. It's the world system which we live. It's the world system that's anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-truth. It's anti-everything that God stands for. I mean, just go home and turn on your TV set. Just go home and read some news on your webpage browser. Just get in a car and turn on the radio and listen to the words of the song. Just go down to the mall quickly before Amazon puts it out of business. But just go down to the mall and look around. I mean, wherever you are, just open your eyes and you will see a world in rebellion against God. It's a world which someday will be judged on the final day. Yet Jesus, in his great love for us, came into this world through the womb of a virgin, lived a perfect and sinless life, and went to a cross, and there bore our sins that he might deliver us out of this place before the whole thing blows up. That's why Paul said, I boast in the cross of Christ. Everything else is trivial. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is menial compared to what Jesus did on the cross for me and for you. And all of this, verse 4 says, according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus died according to the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. Calvary was no afterthought. This is why Paul gloried in the cross, because he realized his life was once part of this evil age, this world system, and he was without hope in the world. He was under the sentence of death in this world. 
And he realized that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. And he realized that Christ had exclusively rescued his soul and ours from coming destruction. Can you glory with Paul on the cross for that? Can you boast in your Savior that died for you at Calvary? It was through his death that you've received salvation and the forgiveness of your sins. So that was the first reason I found why he would say, I boast in the cross of Christ. Another reason Paul boasts on the cross can be found, again, earlier in the book of Galatians, and that is justification. This is a declaration of righteousness, justification. This aspect of the cross, it seems to go further than salvation, which is rescuing somebody out of great danger. Now through the cross, God declares us to be the perfect righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. So we read in Galatians 2.16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith, In Jesus Christ. Let's stop there. Justification is a a word of the courtroom. It's a legal term in which a man stands before a judge and he's declared to be acquitted. He's declared to be righteous. He's declared to have a right standing both before the law and the judge. He's justified. So the the exchange of the cross is this, that God took all of my sins wrapped his big old arms around him, picked him up, and placed him right on Jesus when I believe upon what he did for me on the cross. At the same time, God takes all of Jesus' righteousness, his perfect righteousness, takes it and puts it right on Mark Huber. And I'm declared justified before the eyes of God. What an exchange. What an exchange. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21 We read, he, meaning God, made him Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he goes on to say in verse 16 here, knowing that a man is not justified, not giving this standing of acceptance before a holy God in heaven by the works of the law, meaning there's no way any of us can keep the law, For we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, Romans 3, 23, 6, 23. So not one of us are justified by our works, so he says in verse 16, but through faith in Christ. Jesus, who was born under the law, but perfectly kept every one of those laws of God at every point. When Jesus went to the cross and died, he died as our perfect sin-bearing Savior, And now when we believe upon him, God takes his perfect righteousness of Jesus and imputes it, or he charges it to our account. It would be like if a few of you this morning, be very grateful for this, if I would give you my checking deposit slip, and then you would take some of your money, great example so far, and you would, you would take your money and you would match it with my deposit slip. And you'd go to the bank and they would take your money and they would put it into my account. The cross is about taking the righteousness of Christ and putting it into your account in heaven so you have a right standing 
before an almighty God. This is an important doctrine to internalize, justification. In fact, he says this three times in this verse. Let's read it. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified, second time, by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Third mention. Then across the page in chapter 311, he mentions justification a fourth time. Paul seems to be driving this point of justification home, that through faith and repentance, his righteousness is now credited to our account. And it's my sincere prayer that everyone in this room right now has received this righteousness of Christ. The only way to find acceptance before the judge in heaven is for there to be absolute perfection registered next to your name. And guess what? We've all blown it. We've all blown it. Trust in the perfect one, Jesus of Nazareth, and his perfection will be charged to your account. No wonder Paul boasted of the cross. Right? No wonder he boasted of the cross. He had spent his whole life in Judaism trying to work his way to the top, and in one moment, he was made righteous before God through faith in Jesus. The third truth to why Paul boasted in the cross is sanctification, which means to be set apart unto God, set apart to purity, set apart to holiness. And he outlines this in chapter 2, verse 20. Let's read that together. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. He's talking about the cross here, how the cross has changed his life. You know, salvation is more than just a bookkeeping exercise in heaven. Right? It's more than God just putting something into your account in heaven. It's about God doing something in our lives right now, today. And it comes through the cross. Do you see that? Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. What a statement. What does that mean? I mean, I've been crucified with Jesus. Wasn't it just Jesus on that cross that day? Paul is saying that really there were two deaths that day, not only did Jesus die, but now there's this reality that Paul also died with him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The old Paul has died. The old self-righteous, self-centered, self-seeking Paul. That arrogant, egotistical, religious Paul. That Paul who lived for himself. That old Paul who had to elevate himself above others and long for the recognition and status of the world. That Paul is dead. And now there's a new Paul who's alive. And it's the cross that's radically transformed and changed him. I think we too should be able to look back to our lives and see sanctification. Every one of us should be able to look to our lives, and we should view it kind of like a two-volume set of books. And volume one could be titled, 
B.C., before Christ. In there, you would find your old way of life as you lived according to the ways of the world. And in between these two volumes is your new birth into Christ. And volume one ends with a death. And it's the death to your old way of life. And volume two begins with a resurrection as you're raised to walk in newness of life. And this is your A.D. volume, after death. And now you live for the Lord. And there's just no going back to volume one. It's history. You're never going back to volume one because now you're in volume two, the cross. And it's because of the cross, how it's changed you and transformed your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul supports this. He says, therefore, if anyone, that's any one of us, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's what Paul says here in Galatians 2.20. But Christ lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God. That's why Paul boasted in the cross. That's why he gloried in the cross. That's why his joy was found in the cross. That's why the cross means everything to us. That through the cross, God has started this process of radically changing our lives, the way we think, the way we act, and he's making us into the very image of Christ. It's through the cross that he's crushed our pride, our self-centeredness, and there's this new life that continues to emerge. It's a life that mirrors the life that Christ led, one full of humility, one full of obedience, one full of righteousness, one full of service. So, the challenge for all of us this morning is this, that as we leave this place and we go back into the world, let's remember what Paul has said, that he boasted and he gloried in the cross, how through it we were rescued from a horrible situation, how through it we are justified in the eyes of our Lord, how we continue in our sanctification process daily, through the cross. We now are dead to the world. We're dead to the world's priorities, what they think is important, and instead Jesus' priorities. They guide our life. We let our light shine for his glory alone, right? To glorify him, to magnify Jesus, to magnify his name, the name above all other names. And it's all because of the old rugged cross. So let's sing that old hymn this morning as we conclude our service.